0: for listening to our podcast, recorded live at Gateway Church, Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk. Morning, everybody. Am I on? Yeah. Oh, cool. morning. Now, it's been, a, um, it's been a while since I've preached, and uh, I haven't preached since it's been two services she so you'll probably be glad that you're in the first service, because I'm really worried I'm just going to go home, <laughs> and there'll be nobody to preach in the second service, so be aware of that, Richard, make sure I don't, I don't. oh dear, so um, yeah, so it's, it has, it's been, uh, it's been a while, I've been doing, I'll just, um, I want to say very quickly, I haven't, I, it's probably been a good 18 months since I've been preaching, um, because last, for the year, last year, I was doing the children's work. And I'll just say, I just wanted to give a quick plug for that, that the church always needs children's workers. And it was really great. And it's, you know, it's, it's, yeah, okay, it's tiring when you do the one, you know, the one service, the two services. But um, it's really, really rewarding. And if you think that's something that you can do, um, it was great fun. And um, I would just say, encourage you, if you've got the time, if you've got some spare capacity to do that, then speak to Becca or um, somebody I know. Kresh as well. With the little ones, they're always needing more people. So, do uh, do be stirred. Have a think about it while I'm preaching, but not too much, obviously, because I want you to listen to me as well. So, uh, I'm going to start with praying, which is always good, isn't it? Lord God, I just pray that you'd be with us this morning. Uh, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just uh, come upon me now and speak through me the words that you want to speak into our hearts this morning, God. I pray that each person that here, we would have our hearts open to hear from you, Lord God, and that um, what you've given me to say would um, ring true and be long-lasting in our hearts this this morning, we ask, Lord God, in your name, Jesus, amen. So, some preaching series can feel quite epic, can't they? You know, there's been those preaching series where it's kind of like, you know, a 72 week preaching series on a book of the Bible or something. And um, they can be quite long, can't they? But this one, I think James has felt to me that as quickly as it started, it's kind of finished, hasn't it? Um, Which is not a criticism, it's not one way or the other. But James is one of my favourite books of the Bible, I think. And, um, you know, we could spend a huge amount of time. Kind of going through it, couldn't we, and going through the different amounts of passages. It's so rich in its practical wisdom and advice, isn't it? And I've been encouraged and challenged, and I hope you have too, just to go through the book again and take time to look over it and to see what God is saying to you through it. And if you haven't listened to any of the preachers that have been in this series, I would encourage you, do go back and listen to them. They're on the website. I think they're on SoundCloud, for those of you who are that way inclined as well. getting nods from Darren. So, um, in preparing this, I did feel a little bit, at one point, like I had quite a big task ahead of me. I'm going to be preaching through James 4.11 through to 5.20. So, it's, it's a considerable chunk of the book, and um, I've got a kind of significant part of two chapters to go through. Um, given that I haven't got kind of three hours to go through it, um, I'm going to be keeping it as brief as possible, And my topic is five things for living well. I've been a bit uh, rebellious. I haven't got a PowerPoint. I don't know if I'll be asked to preach again (laughs) because of that. But I will try and give you the headlines of the five topics so that you can make notes for those of you that that way inclined, um, what we're we doing is just kind of exploring some of the themes. It might not be necessarily things that you think would be obviously coming out of the passage, but I feel that God's led me to some things that would be good for us to um, listen and talk about and think about today. So as you'd expect, the themes that are coming out from chapter four and five are kind of largely relate to kind of some of the topics that are in the earlier chapters of James as well. It all kind of links together. And because of that, I thought it would be quite helpful to recap on some of the things that we've heard over the last kind of four weeks, before going on to what I've got to um, got to, to talk about. Um, unashamedly, unashamedly, it's going to be kind of some of the things that I think of. I've got spoken to me about through some of the some of the preachers. Um, Richard Burgess opened the series, didn't he? And he was sort of talking a little bit about trials. Um, I personally found it really helpful how he highlighted the fact that if we don't understand why we're going through trials, we can be much more susceptible to temptation. And I thought that was a really helpful point. Um, Catherine then kind of talked about this a little bit more in depth, uh, looking through James 1, and particularly encouraged us to seek God's wisdom, at all times, seek out other people who are godly, who you know are wise, to encourage you and help you through trials. And um, she highlighted the fact that, you know, we need to make a conscious decision to praise and persevere, regardless of our circumstances. And this is a point that I'm going to pick up on again as well. Richard Evans then um, t- took us through the first part of James 2 and talked very much about love and that royal law. Um, which is to love others as yourself. Then again, a couple of weeks ago, Richard uh, just looked at that kind of tricky passage, um, the second part of James 2, and reminded us really helpfully of the gospel message, which, I mean, it's been wonderful songs this morning, isn't it? It's just central to everything, isn't it? The gospel and what Jesus has done for us. And that we have this faith... That works, rather than faith and works. And that's a really great one. Go back and listen to it if you haven't heard it. And then Nelson last week talked about sort of the wisdom from above versus the wisdom of this world. And really helpfully, I thought, said that, you know, there can be a lot of knowledge, can't there, in this world? But actually, that doesn't necessarily equal wisdom. You know, and he finished by challenging us again about what type of relationship with God we want. And there was this um, poem, do we want a three dollars worth of God, which I thought was a real challenge. You know, are we actually just settling for a God who makes us feel warm and cosy inside, rather than actually really a God who, who wants to transform our lives and who will radically change us if we let him? And I thought that was a real challenge. So on the back of that, I'm going to go through James 4 and 5. And I'll go through the points in order, really, that they come in the book. And I'll just read through each section before I go on to um, talk about what, uh, what it, I think it's saying. So, if you want to change, if you haven't already, to James 4. And the first point I've got is about not judging others. So, James four eleven and 12. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law but if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbour? So we kind of know already that some of the context here is that James is writing to a fairly young church and that they've been kind of arguing amongst themselves and chapters three and four kind of show us some of that. There's been kind of sort of you know, the speech and the criticisms of each other and they're being critical has kind of arisen in the church that he's writing to. And although this is possibly, this may be a message that we've heard a number of times before, but obviously criticising and condemning other people isn't great. We are actually pronouncing our own judgement over them, aren't we? Rather than leaving it to God to judge them. You know, by speaking ill of other people and judging them, James is essentially suggesting that we are actually then judging and speaking ill and criticising God's law. You know, the sense of what he's saying here seems to come back to one of the earlier themes of the book, and that's actually that we need to act on the beliefs that we profess to have. Okay? If we claim to be a Christian, however much we talk the talk, actually we do need to be walking the walk as well, don't we? You know, um, again... Richard sort of explained this a couple of weeks ago, but this is about our understanding of God's word being outworked by our actions. And, you know, there ought to be fruit, like Matthew talks about in chapter 7 and John chapter 15, that, you know, as good trees, as Christians, we ought to be bearing good fruit, you know, showing God's glory. You know, it's okay that we have a set of beliefs that we profess to, but actually if we're not outworking those beliefs, we need to you know, have a look about what that says about ourselves. Um, we are called to support people, aren't we? To bear with one another in love. You know, We're encouraged to help those people that are struggling and to be accountable to one another, which is really important as well, isn't it? But actually, if we're kind of putting ourselves in the position of giving our own verdict over somebody's spirituality, then actually that's possibly going beyond our remit as Christians and we're actually failing to do what... Richard Evans talked about in terms of that loving one another. So God is judge. We're not greater than God, are we? And we need to look at ourselves first before judging others. And it's easy, isn't it? It's easy to do. You know, it's easy to get into a mode of kind of being a bit of a grumbler as well, isn't it? I know I'm. I'm. I'm as bad as this as anybody else. You know, it's a really easy to fall habit to fall into. Um, And we can let it become a habit if we don't check ourselves regularly. So brief point, but that. First point about sort of judging other people. Point two. So James 4, 13 to 17. It's about, for me, pursuing happiness. So again, I'll just read it together. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So I think the second check then is actually that we're living according to God's will for our life. You now, the kind of challenge that James is giving here is that Um, basically, in essence, is about leaving God and his values out of our way of life. Um, Again, the people that James seems to be talking about here seemed to be really certain, didn't they, of what they'd be doing and how life was going to work out for them. Their focus was on profit and about making money. And, you know, there's obviously nothing wrong in looking to succeed. is there, succeed in business, succeed in our careers. But it's the kind of the worldly context in which the plans are being made, without kind of an apparent need for God, which James is really challenging here, I think, isn't he? And what seems to make it doubly worse, is that the people are leaving God out of their planning for their life, but then they're kind of bragging about it as well, about how good they are. You know, only look at James 4 and verse 14, it makes us clear that none of us can guarantee what is going to happen to us tomorrow, can we? You know? I went, to, uh, I went to the doctor's a couple of weeks ago because um, I've been struggling a bit with my breathing, and, and particularly whilst exercising, which I do occasionally do, and um, the doctor told me that it was because I was getting old. It's <laughs> like, how rude! <laughs> and she laughed. I was like, sorry, I don't think I'm getting that old. <laughs> I rebuked that there and then, straight away. But, um, <laughs> you know, may- maybe I am getting older, um, but, but, yeah, change doctors. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I guess, in all seriousness, over the last kind of year or two, I've been thinking quite a lot about this sense of our kind of the temporary nature of our, you know, our life on earth. Um, some close friends and some families have been going through some times of really serious illness, and it has made me reflect a lot. It's Made me reflect a lot on life. And as I've been looking at this particular part and, of James. Well, it might not be the kind of first thing that necessarily comes to mind. It struck me that this seems to be highlighting the importance of living for today, but in a godly way. So living for today, probably, when you talk about somebody who's living for today, it kind of brings to mind somebody who's kind of, you know, really carefree, maybe, who doesn't really think about the consequences of their actions, maybe is a little bit self-centred. You know, it's got that kind of context, hasn't it? And I'm obviously not advocating that. But I do think we do need to kind of grasp a bit of the sense of the temporary nature of our life on Earth. Without being morbid about it, we need to, I think, look at regularly the priorities that we've got in our life. Yeah? Um, I think even more specifically than this, it would do us no harm to look at exactly what we're living to achieve each and every day. What is it we're looking to do? You know, are we looking to be an example to others in our workplace every day? Now, are we looking to raise our children to know and love God in a personal way? Are we doing that every day? You know, do we pray for the sick to be healed when we see an opportunity day in, day out? Do we dare to share a different way of living with our friends or are we kind of keeping it to ourselves in fear of what other people might think? You know, this isn't about living legalistically. We've heard we have grace for this, don't we? This is not about applying a set of rules and beating yourself up if we don't do it. But I think, actually, if we're talking about living well and being mature, this is something that could really help us by the grace of God. John Piper coins a term, a phrase, of being a Christian hedonist, which intrigues me. And uh, I looked into this and he explains, basically, that Christian hedonism is basically summed up in this saying that the chief aim of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. The chief aim of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. Now, what he's quick to note is is that he's not suggesting that we make a God out of pleasure-seeking as an end in itself, okay? Not that kind of live-for-today attitude that I've just described, but actually that we all, in one way or another, make a God out of what we take most pleasure in in our life, Yeah? And I think this is actually a really crucial thing and something that, again, it is difficult, but it's something that we need to look at, I think. You know, um, am I taking the most pleasure on a day-to-day basis from God or from something or somebody else in my life? And I think it's a really (laughs) challenging but really good question to ask yourself. If you want to get a barometer of, like, your relationship with God, ask yourself that each day Honestly, say, so what, what is the answer to that question? What am I taking the most pleasure out of today? Okay. Now, I think we can meaningfully ask ourselves, are we pursuing happiness? And actually, you know, pursuing happiness isn't a bad thing in itself as long as that pursuit of happiness has God at its centre. Again, i quote Piper when he says this, this attitude doesn't mean that our happiness is the highest good, it means that pursuing the highest good will always result in our greatest happiness in the end. Okay, So it doesn't mean that our happiness is the highest good. It means that actually by pursuing the highest good, by pursuing God, that will always result in our greatest happiness in the end. So if we bring this back to James, we can see how this is completely contrary to the attitude that these guys and, you know, had here, they were pursuing their own happiness but had completely taken God out of the question. had taken him out of the equation and they'd put the pursuit of money at the heart of where their happiness laid. You know, and to maintain this perspective, it is it hard. We have to have complete trust, don't we, in God and complete faith in God. Uh, so helpful, the word that Bob brought. You know, because Jesus clearly states that... This kind of selfless dedication to him isn't going to be easy, and it will probably come with a price. But actually, the reward is ultimately totally worth it, isn't it? Pursuing God and his will will always result in our happiness in the end, you know, even though we may face trials along the way. So, as I've already touched upon through this, it's so important to keep in perspective who we are. Versus who God is. And I think this Pastor James gives us kind of a sobering reminder of that, doesn't he? When he calls us a, says that we're just like a mist or a puff of smoke. Um, I don't know if anybody can you know, cast their mind back. It's, it's hard remembering a preacher a couple of days later, isn't it? But when, uh, <laughs> let alone a few, a few weeks ago. But if you remember, Mike Betts came and opened this kind of series at the beginning of this, or this, um, the autumn. And he preached about repentance and complete surrender to God and his will. And I think that's really helpful, that we can easily forget as well, can't we, that we need to live each day in repentant submission to God and to his will. And it's not easy, and um, I do think, again, it links back to what our daily priorities are. If we live each day in surrender to God, it's a really good start, isn't it? It's about trusting where God's put us and trusting in his will for us. Psalm 33:11 says this, The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. God's will for us, so his counsel here in this passage, comes from his heart for us. God's will for us is always good because he loves us. And we need to remember that, God's love, and again, as we've been singing about, God's love shown through Jesus at the cross. And we can take real encouragement from that, and we need to remember that, along with everything else we've been saying. So so point three. So carry on. This is um, Matthew, uh, James, Matthew even? James 5, so one to six. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the labourers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. So again, a... cheery kind of a passage again, but the church at this time um, in which this was written, the church he was writing it to would have been made up, there would have been a lot of poor people. The church would have been poor Christians, and it's actually quite likely that they could have been working for the rich landowners that James is talking about here. And actually, there's a a strong argument that this passage is actually, these people that this is um, referencing are actually non-Christians, and that this passage is primarily not condemning people within the church, but is serving as an encouragement to those within the church to say, actually, you might be going through a hard time, but this is what's going to happen to those rich people who are really persecuting you. And, you know, although we can see a lot, and this passage again talks about wealth and the dangers of wealth, um, we know that it's not wealth in itself, is it, that's about having wealth, it's a bad thing. It's about the misuse of wealth that the Bible often is kind of condemning and and warning us against. And, again, while I think that this section, it clearly is talking about our attitude towards money, I think the wider concern and challenge is actually the issue of where the priorities lie in our life. You know, I think it's a challenge, again, to us saying, what are you putting first in your life? Um, Tim Keller has written a book called Counterfeit Gods, And he, um, he says in that that actually, as a society, we can have become so, we've become quite fixated, we can have done, on the problem of greed. Okay, so we we're all kind of like talking about those rich people who, you know, over there. And actually, what he's saying is that we don't often realise the fundamental truth that actually, it's not just money, anything can become an idol in our lives. Anything can serve as an idol, as a, an alternative to God, as a counterfeit God. You know, an idol is anything for which we would find ourselves saying, you know what, if I just have that, I'll feel secure. If I can just achieve that in my life, then it will have meaning and I'll be happy. It could be anything. It could be love, it could be family, money, it could be achievements at work, at school, it could be our health, fitness, our physical beauty, it could be popularity, anything. Anything. Now, I don't know, has anybody ever done that thing on, online where you, you go into a search engine you start typing a question? What it will do is you start typing a question, it will give you the most popular answers from across the country or the, the world once you start at the beginning of a question. So I thought I'd have a go at this. So I got uh, in, on my generic non-brand name search engine and put in, how do I... So how do I? Anybody got any guesses what the most popular question starting "How do I" was online? How do I become a millionaire? How do I lose weight? This you might need to be cut out. This, but the top answer was actually "How do I cancel cancel Netflix?" Now. <laughs> <laughs> This is not a comment from me about that particular online film distribution uh, company, but I was quite, I was quite surprised. So I, I, I started enjoying this. I thought it was quite interesting. So the next question I'm putting is What do I? What do I? Any ideas? What do I? This was quite a topical one. I put What do I need to tax my car? I think this was around the time when the paper tax discs are going out and the electronic ones are coming in, so that's obviously... The next one's worrying. When should I? When should I? Anybody any ideas? Pay my ideas? When should I pay my tax? Related, no. When should I take a pregnancy test? <laughs> so again, that, that's... Don't no, definitely preg- not. <laughs> not, not yeah, definitely not related for me there, okay. So, <laughs> um, slightly more sobering, um, well, a couple more. What will happen if I... The top answer was stop eating. Bit of a worry, I think, for that one. And then coming to the point of all this, how can I, how can I be happy, was the top answer. Some people that. Interestingly enough, how can I be rich was fourth. I can't remember what the other two were. But how can I be happy had been searched for more than how can I be rich, which was really interesting. And at the end of the day, kind of people want to be happy, don't they? I mean, I read even this morning a sad story. There's been another shooting in America and a lad who's just taken a handgun into his school, apparently was being bullied. His girlfriend had, um, had, you know, finished their relationship and he took a handgun in and started shooting people and then shot himself. I mean, extremely sad. But people want to be happy, don't they? And actually, the problem comes is when we fix our hearts or minds on something... ...that ultimately isn't God. Something which is more important to us for our happiness than God. And although I don't you know, have a, a great deal of time to go into this... ...but Tim Keller talks about in his book four ways which we can actually... ...I think it's really helpful, identify if there are other things in our lives... ...which are actually idols and more important to us than God. So I'm going to go through quickly those four things. First of all, our imagination... It's really interesting. What do you think about most when you've got some time on your own and you've got nothing else to occupy your mind? Yeah. What do you daydream most about? Think about that. It's really interesting. Because actually that can, not have to, but it can show actually what the priorities are in our life, what's most important to us. What do we spend most our money on? You know, it's kind of relating to this passage. You know, Jesus says, doesn't he, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. What do we spend the majority of our money on? Because actually, our money will flow most effortlessly towards our heart's greatest love. Yeah? And actually, we can, can quite actually see that. What are we really living for? You know, how do we respond when something we've been really praying for or something that we've been really working towards or hoping for doesn't materialise? Now... It's right to be upset if we're praying for somebody to be healed or we're praying for somebody for salvation. You know, that's a right anger. But actually, if we're, what is it that we are really setting our heart on? And if that doesn't work out, does that tell you something about where your actual priorities are? And look at your strongest emotions. You know, when you get angriest, is it because there's something that you really wanted at all costs which you couldn't get? If you're afraid, and if, When you get really fearful, actually is it some, because of something being um, threatened perhaps in your life, which you think is a real necessity, but it isn't necessarily. You know, Do you work your fingers to the bone? Are you so busy working yourself into the ground? Because actually that's how you find your comfort. Things have to be just right. And actually you w- can't find peace until you have done, completed, whatever it might be. Now there are interesting challenges, I think, to actually... Think about and identify where there might be other things that are taking the place of God on a day-to-day basis. Now, in all of this, we have grace, don't we? I know this is a preach which feels like there's a lot of kind of you know challenges, but we have grace in all of this. None of us can live our lives at some point without having some idols. I I can't believe that anybody would put their hand up and say I've never put anything else and and uh, first. You know, we. Aren't perfect, we are human at the end of the day, aren't we? But what we can do is respond to this. You know, the title of this series is about living well, and I think this is a real key component to that. You know, as we identify and understand the things that are idols in our lives, Tim Keller often sort of notes that actually our response can be just to determine ourselves, have some steely willpower, and actually try and be different. You know, we repent and get on with it, which is, is all right and good. But actually, he says that this isn't enough to affect a lasting change. Colossians 3, 1 to 3, tells us to set our minds on the things above, you know, because our life is hid with Christ in God. You know, by focusing on Jesus and what he's done for us, by celebrating and rejoicing what he's done for us, we actually replace the love or the dependence of that counterfeit God with love for Jesus. You know, in this way, through worship, through prayer, through reading scripture and meditating on scripture, we can kind of uproot the place that idol has in our lives and replace it with Jesus. You know, by repenting and then rejoicing and resting in what Jesus has done for us at the cross, we can see real lasting change. You know, as it says um, you know, it's about being transformed by the renewing of our mind. So we have choices to make every day, you know, about whether we're storing up riches here or in heaven, and whether that's actually financial wealth or whether it's something else, we need to ask ourselves continually, what am I investing in? So point four, uh, having patience and peace. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth, or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. So we live in kind of an instant world, don't we? Does everyone ever get frustrated with computers? You know, I was typing this preach out, and honestly, I was, getting, <laughs> I was getting annoyed with it just waiting for it to start up. you ever uh, start your computer up and it says, now installing update 3 of 24,512? You're like, seriously, I might as well just go and come back another time. I don't anybody really remember the old days of Spectrums? ZX Spectrums, you put a tape into a computer, press play. It looked, took like 10 minutes to load something up. And then it would crash and you'd have to start it all again. I don't remember getting annoyed with that as a kid. Like 20 minutes into waiting. I don't ever remember... Not, I don't think I was a perfect child by any means, but I just don't remember having the, uh, the lack of patience that sometimes I do now. Um, James, James here gives us a few examples uh, to teach us about the benefits and importance of patience. I'm not going to go into them all, but I think the first one he uses about, um, about farming is a useful one. And it might be because I've got a bit of... A, Norfolk farming blood in me. Now having said that I uh, I actually don't know anything about farming and I don't even know anything about gardening which my mum and dad completely despair at because they're keen gardeners and my granddad was a farmer but I think I'm pretty sure that crops don't grow overnight unless I've really got something wrong. So really if you're a farmer I'm figuring that you're pretty much at the mercy of the elements aren't you when it comes to actually their crops you know too much rain I guess can rot a crop too much sun and it can scorch and kill crops if there's an early frost I think that can do damage as well Um, pests and bugs I'm sure lots of them that actually can can damage crops so I figure that farmers have to be extremely patient and they have to be very long-suffering and I think this is the point that James is getting at here um, why is it important why does the farmer wait so patiently like this well it's because the harvest is worth waiting for yeah? the fruit of his la- or her labour is precious yeah? now we endure and we persevere when the going is tough and when circumstances or people seem to be against us Because the harvest that God will produce as a result is going to be precious. It will be precious to us and it will be precious to him. You know, it struck me while studying James and looking through James, that a lot of what he's talking about relates back to peace. You know, the beginning of James certainly seems to be talking about peace in the church. And James is urging us to live in peace with each other as Christians, to live in peace with ourselves and to live in peace with God. And this, again, talks about, related to what Richard um, Burgess talked about in James 2. So actually, we need to remind ourselves constantly of the gospel. And as we've come through this morning in the worship, there's nothing that we can do to earn our salvation. We can never do enough, but Jesus is enough. And the whole book of James, for me, is guiding and instructing us on how to get this peace. Get this peace in ourselves and this peace with God. And peace with each other. And, you know, if you're not a Christian today, I just felt to say, you know, actually, if you don't know God, peace with God is available this morning through Jesus. The first, was interesting What Graham brought, the first verse of of Romans 5 says this. "Since, Since, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And justification is kind of quite a churchy term, isn't it? If you're not, you know, from a church background. But actually, justification really describes God's act of removing the guilt and the penalty for our sin, our wrongdoing against God. And this is made possible through the fact that Jesus died on the cross, in our place, taking the punishment that we should have had. You know, as we repent, as we turn away from our old way of living... And give our lives to Jesus and wholeheartedly commit ourselves to following him. God declares us righteous, basically right, or forgiven in his eyes. And this is why it's called the gospel. It's the good news because it's extremely significant of eternal significance to be able to say that you are at peace with the creator of the universe. It really is, especially because one day we're all going to stand before him and give an account for what we've done. And to be able to say that you're at peace with God is the most significant thing you could ever do in your life. So peace and peace with God. Last point as I'm coming to an end. Chapter 5, so we're on 13 to 20. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? And for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So, just starting to draw to a sort of a close. And the focus in this concluding part, you know, I think in James is to keep God focused, isn't it, in all situations. You know, whether or not we're facing difficult situations or whether or not we're going through a good time in our life. Um, Actually, James is saying to keep focused on God and not get complacent or let the devil have an opportunity to get in. Um, Keeping focused on God ensures that we keep a sense of perspective. And prayer's a huge subject, but there's just a couple of simple points I think it would be wise to highlight. First of all, if you're suffering... And a good uh, translation, apparently, of the word used in Greek here is one of the sense of being in trouble. So if you're in trouble, then you ought to pray. Kind of straightforward, isn't it? Simple point, but I think it is one worth remembering. Sometimes it's easier to grumble or complain or you know, to be self-pitying when we're going through difficult times. But actually, the first thing we should do is pray. You know, there's, there's, you can, there's two things you can guarantee, OK? If you're going through troubles and you pray to God for help. Either God's going to bring you out of those troubles... Or he'll give you the pace, pace, patience, the grace and the strength to endure in those times of troubles. Scott is faithful, isn't he? You know. Secondly, if you're happy and things are going well, then praise God for it. Sing, shout it out, tell other people about it, thank Him in prayer and in song. You know, as I mentioned earlier when I was talking about idols, one of the best defenses we can put up against the enemy is to continually praise God and thank him and thank Jesus for what he's done. You know, worship brings us to God in thankfulness and reminds us of what Jesus has done. And that's worth doing all the time. Thirdly, we've got to keep praying for people to be healed. Yeah? I mean, there's loads you could talk about here. But we can be assured that God wants us to be well and wants us to be healed. Now, in terms of anointing with oil, just because that's... um, Sort of touched on here. Personally, I don't necessarily believe that anointing with oil kind of carried any particular special extra spiritual power. What I actually think it symbolizes that is that when the elders anoint with oil, that sets apart that person for God's special care and attention. You know, anointing with oil isn't a prerequisite for healing, I think is what I want to get across. You know, James makes clear that the prayer of a righteous person has great power when it's working. You know, and who is a righteous person? Well, Douglas Moore, a theologian, describes it as a person who is wholeheartedly committed to God and sincerely seeking to do his will. Yeah? So seeing prayers answered, seeing people healed, it's not limited to elders, it's not limited to super saints. It's just to those people who are committed to God and to doing his will. Amen? Yeah? I think if we really grasp this, that our prayers had this much power... It would change us, don't you? I think I've been challenged that we would pray a lot more. Yeah, Just, you know, pray in all circumstances. Ephesians 6 says that, doesn't it? To pray at all times in the spirit. And I think it seems a fitting conclusion to this series um, to say that in whatever circumstance we find ourselves, we need to be praying. Yeah, yeah? you know, to uproot those idols in our lives, to be obedient, to live non judgmentally, not to grumble, to be patient. We can't do any of these things by ourselves, can we? By the grace of God, we can. And not in our own power, but in God's power, by coming to God in prayer and asking for the Spirit's help. So, in conclusion, James is a very pastoral book, isn't it? I think uh, somebody said it's 54... Was it 54 kind of challenges, exhortations of ways to live? You know, and there are a lot of challenges, but I think actually there's real encouragement as well, isn't there, to us in the church, obviously... Oh Hebrews twelve says this as well. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. You know, some of the things that we've talked about not just today but over the series might seem quite painful to implement, you know, but actually by living well, you know, actually that will produce that harvest of righteousness and peace that James talks about. And here at the end of this book we have a genuine encouragement to why James is exhorting us so much to live well. You know, we can be excited and expectant of God doing great things in us and through us as we seek him and follow him doing his will. You know, that this harvest of righteousness that's produced by being wise and living peacefully is basically in a nutshell conducting ourselves in a manner pleasing to God. You know, by following the advice that James gives us, he's kind of giving us a blueprint to conducting ourselves as Christians in this manner, in a manner pleasing to God. You know, whether that is the way we respond to trials and temptations, by praising God and persevering in faith, whether it's loving others and placing that royal law to love others at the heart of all we do, whether it's ensuring that we strive for that faith that works that Richard (laughs) talked about, Or whether we are seeking God's wisdom above all else, and not being satisfied with that three dollars worth of God, you know, we can be assured that God is with us all the way. His grace is sufficient. His Spirit is available to help us and to guide us if we just come to Him and ask. Amen. Amen. Amen.